Hi everybody, this is Matthew. And this is Vivek. And we are back with another edition of Sports Council. Um, it has been a very long summer, it's been a very fun summer. Honestly. It's been a very eventful summer indeed, and especially with this off season, it's been absolutely crazy. Yeah, with the NBA heading into a lull period right now, uh, unfortunately any news right now is bad news. And bad news it is, yesterday it was reported that Lakers center DeMarcus Cousins sustained a serious left knee injury. It was an ACL tear, as reported by Shams Tarania of um, The Athletic. This will effectively put Boogie out for at least a very long time of the season, a long portion of the season, maybe even out for the entire season. Um, and that makes three major injuries to the legs of Boogie Cousins in the past two years with the Achilles, the quad, and the ACL now. So what are your thoughts? What does it mean for Boogie Cousins going forward? First, he suffered three serious injuries, two of which were completely career-altering. And so in that respect, keeping in mind that he suffered so much in such a short period of time, one can only be... Words can even begin to express how unfortunate the situation has been for him. Mm-hmm. I mean, clearly at his peak, he's been the best center in the league. Exactly. He's put up Hall of Fame numbers. He's clearly a Hall of Fame level talent. When he isn't getting those technical fouls and, you know, cursing out the refs and doing his shenanigans. But yeah, either way, truly talented player. This will definitely mean that his effectiveness is really not going to be anywhere close to Hall of Fame level ever again. And it really sucks saying something, you know, that forthcoming and that apocalyptic. But it's pretty clear that your athleticism, with all those injuries piled up in such a short period of time, your career will not really be the same. So with that being said, you know, Boogie can still, you know, be in the league. He still has a role in it. But it's not going to be, you know, as this guy who could potentially rehabilitate into one of the greatest centers as his previous trajectory previous had him on. You know, it's exactly. definitely going to be different from here on out. Yeah, um, and the absolute severity of the injuries and the short amount of time that it took between all three of them, right? It took within the span of like a year and a half at most for three major injuries to those legs. And I have to wonder whether he rushed himself a little bit too much in order to get that payday that he's been searching for for a very long time now. Right. And I, I do feel very concerned. I feel very sad to hear that um, Boogie was injured in this way because it's it's terrible for any player, but especially for Boogie. He's worked so hard to get back every single time, right? He worked very hard from that Achilles injury, and then he sustained that quad injury, and he tried to make it back so he can play in his first finals game. In his career, uh, obviously winning is very important to him, and he hasn't had a lot of success winning in the NBA. And now he's going to see his talent sapped away from all these injuries, and I can't help but feel bad for this guy because, you know, basketball means everything to him. Right. And now he won't even be able to kind of make a livelihood out of it. So, you know, unfortunately, he I think he should have gotten paid now. I was on his side at first with the Achilles injury, but... Obviously, we didn't know that he was going to be suffering so many subsequent leg injuries in the end. Of course. um, It sucks to see that he was unable to get the contract that he deserved at the beginning. Um, And now it seems like he is heading towards a very questionable path, at least, as far as his NBA career goes from now. Definitely. Yeah. So now, now on to the other side of the situation. What does it mean for the Lakers 
because now they just signed Boogie Cousins, hoping that at least he'd fill some minutes in that center. Maybe he doesn't have to be a starter, but he could actually be there. But now you don't have him probably for the entire year. I don't think he's going to rush it this time, especially for the Lakers for a one-year deal. Definitely. He's all but gone for the Lakers throughout the season. Exactly. I mean, Clay Thompson, when he tore his ACL, when that injury happened, that was back in, you know, May, June, yeah. around that period of time. So, you know, he'll be back by the middle of the season, hopefully, near the tail end of this upcoming season. But for a guy like Bogu to enter it so late into yeah. the offseason, you know, during the preseason time where all that stuff is kind of shifting up to gear, the process for rehabilitation will definitely mean that by the time he's like fully healthy, it'll be way deep into the playoff season probably what it's looking like so far and it's going to be very hard to get back into the rotation and learn off the playbooks around then so it's really questionable for the lakers as well because at best like you were saying matthew yeah he wanted to you know play and at his worst he feels some good minutes as a big body and at his best he's the lakers x factor along with you know lebron and ad he's an all-star yeah and i think this prompts a really good question too what do you think happens to their center situation if Boogie goes down? Obviously now you have to rely on good old JaVale McGee to fill in the center spot, um, center position. But you also have to consider now you want you probably want Anthony Davis to start playing more at center. And I yeah. think that was kind of the plan. I don't really know. But I think the plan was to have kind of AD as that center because you still got the only two players that were remaining on that team were LeBron, Kyle Kuzma, and Anthony Davis. And, uh, you know, one's different from the other three, right? <laughs> so, obviously, they kept Kuzma for a reason. I think yeah. they saw the most potential in him or whatever, or maybe the Pelicans didn't want him. But it's like, they have Kuzma here for a reason. They, he can play power forward. He certainly cannot play center. Yeah, I right. think they've tried it, and it has not They did worked. try it. When he played as a small ball five, it was really disastrous on the defensive end. Yeah, I don't think he's cut out for that. So I think Anthony Davis will have to fill in for his old buddy. He will probably have to play more center minutes. Right, and I think that also prompts a really interesting discussion too, at least an interesting commentary, because Anthony D. Davis, he said it before, like being power forward, that's his natural position. Yeah. And part of the reason why he wanted to go to the Lakers as rumors had suggested in the past mm-hmm. is because he could play, you know, as a power forward who wouldn't get banged up this much. Yeah, yeah. I think that's obviously a concern for him. And you know, he used to be a point guard in high school. He and used then to. he grew to be this gigantic size and he was able to play forward. So I don't think he ever really wanted to play center in the first place. Or he was never really well adjusted for it. Exactly. But as you said, I think that's the way it's going to go right now. They're going to flex between McGee and they're also going to try and play AD at center. I think a really interesting last spot too, their last roster spot, which is now probably going to be open. They can use that on a center that's a free agent right now as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the NBA season also got released and there's a couple of interesting matchups to head up. First of all, you got the Clippers and Lakers on opening night, as well as Christmas Day. You got the Warriors and Rockets on Christmas Day as well. Um, and the Warriors open up their home, the Chase Center, against the Kawhi-led Clippers. So now with the season schedule coming up, and now we kind of get the NBA season underway, I thought we would be able to do some power rankings sure. to start off the season. It would be great um, to see and look back at how wrong we were later on. So, <laughs> <laughs> how 2020? Yeah, absolutely. 
it's probably gonna be hilarious just listening to this podcast like I don't know five six months down the line and seeing where everyone teams go like, right and teams go really wrong exactly. but that's the beauty of it all you know I think that these power things aren't cut and dry I think it's just a good projection of where everything stands as of now on paper mm-hmm. obviously the way chemistry plays out I'm just saying this is a disclaimer, by the way, before starting off our power rankings. Exactly. Because keep in mind, to all of the listeners of this podcast, what we're saying right now probably won't be holding true, you know, many, many weeks down the line. Like, people will be better than we think they are. Our teams might be worse. There might be some growing pains. So this is just on paper for now. Our, you know, thoughts on this. There's some quick little notes and ideas that we had about each team. And so that's where we're going to be presenting these power rankings. And if we're right, you should pay us for this expert analysis yeah. going forward. Because, you know, the Knicks are going to be somehow, like, right. champions of everything. And, you know, that's, how, that's just how it goes. So, um, we're going to go from, we're going to go rank our top teams, top 10 teams, and then we're going to go from least to best, right? Sure. Worst to best. Yeah. Kind of. Top 10. So, both of us, we have a composite ranking. We each ranked our top 10. We were actually pretty similar, honestly, but we kind of averaged it out a little bit. So, first of all, we have at number 10, the Boston Celtics. So, um, you know, we the major addition for the Celtics has been swapping out Kyrie Irving for Kemba Walker. They still have their young core, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And they lost also Terry Rozier over the offseason. And Al Horford. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a big one, too. Yeah. So now they're kind of rolling in with this kind of young team. Um, they certainly aren't the contenders or the very spooky team that we thought they were going to be a couple years ago. And all of those picks that Danny Inch has accumulated has kind of just become this team, basically. Yeah. So we both have the Celtics at number 10 right now. Or we had the Celtics are at number 10 right now. So first off let's ask the big question do you think that the celtics will be better with kemba instead of Kyrie? if we're talking about on the court play mm-hmm. probably not yeah only because Kyrie is just a better player on paper yeah than kemba is but i think when it comes to chemistry and building a solid team identity which could probably translate to on court play given that they get the ball rolling quickly mm-hmm. i think that at the end of the day they would be better off for this move because I think that Kemba offers one thing that Kyrie doesn't do as well, intangibles. Hmm. His leadership ability and exactly. you know, his ability to try and lead a team and carry them. I think he doesn't have the chip on his shoulder anymore having to be the guy. And I think that the reason that he suggested for going to the Celtics is because he could learn, learn under Brad Stevens and he can shoulder the load. And he does have the veteran experience of leading a team into deep runs back in the NCAA when he won that UConn March Madness Finals Championship. Cardiac Kemba, exactly. And then we led the Hornets basically to the playoffs on his back. Mm -hmm. So I think that Kemba offers that leadership experience of being the face of a franchise. And I think that he'll also be much more willing to take younger players under his tutelage. Yeah, exactly. And I think the biggest asset Kemba offers is his leadership ability. He has basically been the face of the franchise for the Hornets for a very long time, and no one has come close to challenging him for that. And now he has a Boston team that kind of is looking for that guy. They thought Kyrie was kind of that face of the franchise guy, but he somehow did not really want the publicity of being the leader of these young rookies and guys like that. And, you know, even with um, Gordon Hayward now, kind of just like, in the middle of like nowhere right now he's kind of in purgatory right now but it's like 
he we they need a leader right now and Kemba is gonna offer that. Obviously, I think Kyrie is a better playmaker. I think he's just a better player on the court. Of course, honestly. and he's younger. I think he has a lot more potential. Um, still to come. Um, and we've seen a lot of Kemba, and maybe he will elevate his play with the Celtics under Brad Stevens. But I think we've seen kind of his peak area. So, and I think it's gonna work well with the Celtics. Really, I think why we both rank them as a lower tier is because we're now kind of bullish on the Celtics stock, I'd say, because mm-hmm. um, we, I think last year, I kind of wanted to say that they would be in the NBA Finals, but then everything kind of just went to crap. They had all these chemistry issues that we were talking about, and um, their young offensive um, prospects like Brown and Tatum, they didn't pan out exactly like they were supposed to. They still have a lot of time to progress, but right. it's just not there yet. And we don't know if it's going to be there next year. Yeah. So we both have them as a pretty talented team going forward. And they still yeah. have Kemba. Um, but again, the loss of Horford is a lot. And the loss of Kyrie's playmaking abilities. It's a lot to process. So we right. still have the Celtics as a top 10 team. And, and some more thoughts about the Celtics, right? Mm-hmm. I think that this team will ultimately have Hay- Hayward mm-hmm. and then you know Smart... And all the young guys, right, with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, those guys will be the difference makers for the Celtics. Because right now, you don't know what you're going to be getting, more specifically with Hayward. Yeah. That's going to be the true X factor of that team. You know, another full season. You know, last season he had his, you know, mental block issues. And exactly. Then him trying to ease into the physicality of the league once again. Mm-hmm. So this is his full, full offseason with him basically having a real offseason to work on his game and to really improve as a player. So I do expect to see some sort of improvements. I don't think that he will be at the level of his play from last season. I think he will be better because of just that additional time and having some more experience on the court once again. I agree, I agree. And then obviously, you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, those are the young guys. Like you said before, those are what the picks panned out to be at the end. You will expect to see them play a much larger role in the offense. And Brad Stevens and Danny Ainge have vocalized that they want to see more from those two guys because at the end, right, they are going to be the young stars of this franchise and the faces of the franchise for many more years to come. So the team will feature them more. There's a lot more ball movement. There's not many cooks in the kitchen once again because with Al Horford and with Kyrie, there were just way too many people that were ball dominant. And as Taylor Shear said, there are way too many ball dominant people. So I think that there's going to be a bit more of a balance, which is going to be the main difference. Yeah, exactly. So, heading off to number nine on our list, it is the Portland Trailblazers, another young team with two dynamic young players, CJ McCollum and Damian Lillard, both um, locked up for the long term now with the Trailblazers. So, um, the Western Conference finalists still has the main core of their team together, and you should expect Yusuf Nurkic, who wasn't there for the entire playoff run to be back mm-hmm. um, not back though is Ennis Cantor he departed to um, the Celtics the Celtics oh yeah. there you go and then but they did add Hassan Whiteside from the Miami Heat so you know this is a Western Conference finalist right um, they have two great stars mm-hmm. they possibly all stars even though I don't think McCollum has ever made it but he is an all star caliber player of course so the question obviously remains, why did we rank them so low, I think? I think the main reason why 
it a lot of it just comes from the strength of the league at the very top now mm-hmm. because a lot of the talent has accumulated to the top you know to eight to nine teams yeah and with the blazers what you've basically seen with this team is the culmination of the moves over the past few years a lot of their stars with Lillard and McCollum and Nurkic they're all homegrown talents so uh, actually, Nurkic was traded from the yeah. Nuggets, but then he was basically developed under their tutelage with the Blazers as well. And that's where he really came up as a player. Exactly. So what you're seeing right now is not really you know any splashy off-season acquisitions besides maybe Whiteside. Mm-hmm. But the re- main reason really why is because of the depth. Mm-hmm. I believe that the Blazers just aren't as deep of a team as some of the teams at the very top. Yeah. And because as good as Lillard and McCollum are... There are just better teams out there at the end of the day. With just more talent, honestly. There's just a lot of star power in the league, and star power is the name of the game as it goes. There's a couple of great dynamic duos, and Lillard and McCollum are one of them, but it's just that there's so many great ones right now. And then those teams also probably have better depth or talent otherwise. And the thing is, the Blazers are kind of stuck in this kind of situation right now. Um, that they're 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 cap strapped basically. They they're kind of in this like purgatory where they can't get up. Basically, they can't rise up to become a super team because they're so cap strapped and they can't really be creative with their contracts as it stands. Right. And they're not very they're not a very lucrative kind of free agency destination. They're not very attractive. Like Portland's great and all. I don't want to hate on them, but of course, it's just like it's just not LA or anything like that. So it's hard to attract free agency. It's not a big market team, basically. Yeah. So the star pool isn't as attractive to free agents that are trying to come. Yeah. And also the cash up situation makes it harder for free agents to go there because they're not going to get. They're not going to get anything. Right. They're not going to get big contracts. The big contracts go all towards the homegrown stars. Exactly and. Um, so they really need that third guy to kind of pair with McCollum and Lillard and they were creative with it and they were able to get Nurkic but it's hard to envision Nurkic being that key third piece to elevate them across these other teams so that's why I think we both kind of have them again in the lower kind of depth but we think that they have a lot of potential they're probably going to be a playoff team they're definitely going to be a playoff team Yeah. yeah so the final question is and I think we know the answer will they make the western conference finals again uh as it stands right now no but i will say that they are going to be contenders to be at their best a high playoff spot mm-hmm. like top one through five seeds like they can be anywhere from there probably not in the top three or anything like that but they are definitely very good enough to be amongst the best western conference teams by far no question yeah and the reason why is because they have one of the best backcourts in the league for sure. The return of Nurkic will help a lot because he added a lot on the rebounding end mm-hmm. and just the physicality of actually being a big man. And then the young players like Zach Collins and Arfany Simmons have proven themselves to be really great talents as well. And they can provide really good bench minutes. In particular, a really good player to watch out for this season is Arfany Simmons. Mm-hmm. He is one of the best scorers in the bench and he's really, really young too. And I'm just saying this because, you know, he scored 46-47 in his last game of the season. Against he's the Kings, right? Against yeah. the Kings. I remember that game. Yeah, he went absolutely insane. And he's a really young player, too, with a lot of talent. He can slide in, into that three spot or that two spot as well. And, yeah, I think that also adding Whiteside will help on the rebounding end as well. If he gets his attitude issues a bit in check, yeah, I think that he'll be a good addition to their locker room. 
He could be an X factor if he returns to that all star form, but I don't and think that he blocks. Will. But too. like, yeah. if he can just become any like a contributing player, I think that the Blazers are a very dangerous team heading forward. But I don't. I also agree with Vivek. I don't believe they're going to be Western Conference finalists this year. But I think they have the potential to be. And you know, you don't know. You never know. So we have number eight here. This is a surprising one, I have to admit, because they made a pretty big move this year. The Houston Rockets are our number eight team, and of course you got the MVP runner-up last year and the MVP two years ago, James Harden, but you don't have his dynamic partner anymore, Chris Paul. Um, we have not covered it yet, but Chris Paul has been traded to the Oklahoma City Thunder in exchange for Russell Westbrook. Um, and a, a bunch of first-round picks have gone to the way of the Thunder as well. So now you have a two MVP backcourt that is incredible. And again, you have a huge dynamic duo. And this is the kind of problem we were talking about where you have so many talented dynamic duos, especially in the backcourt. Now with Westbrook and Harden. Now they've played together before and the last time they played together, they were in the NBA Finals. And they were missing, you're kind of missing an MVP small forward alongside them. But um, <laughs> they have a lot of potential to be an incredible team. They could probably be title contenders because it, the Rockets didn't change much at all. So why, again, are we putting them at number eight? I think that the Rockets, let's first talk about the pauses, right? Harden is a bona fide MVP candidate season in and season out. Yeah. The offense that he puts out is... People criticize it for all it wants, you know, you can criticize the traveling thing, mm -hmm. you can criticize, you know, how he draws fouls and everything, oh, yeah. but there's no denying that he's by far put the team on his back, and the Rockets would really be nowhere without Harden. I think Harden is an MVP candidate, top two, top three, for the past five, six seasons now, mm -hmm. and people would really kind of start to disrespect that and kind of normalize what he's done, yeah. but he's put up some of the gaudiest scoring numbers in like the past five and six years, like the strategy is going on is absolutely incredible. He's a machine. And he's a total scoring machine. And you know, Westbrook's a great individual player of his own right too. Mm -hmm. Like triple double machine. He'll get the MVP award. Him and Harden have been in competitions for the MVP in the past. Yeah. So they're both great, great individual talents. So I think you and I both know where this is going, right? Mm -hmm. You know, when you have those two individual talents, how do they coexist? Yeah. And it's kinda hard to do that because we had that similar issue right with CP3 and Harden and you don't have to believe the rumors or not but I do believe there was some conflicts and there was some strife between the two right. I think Harden actually wanted to play a more not ISO heavy offense right? wanted he wanted to play to more of the free form style that the Warriors play with the ball movement exactly but you know he was putting up some great numbers in the ISO as well um, and Westbrook has usually been on a team where he can just be himself and he can just jack up as many shots as he can even though it's not great <laughs> it wasn't yeah. great not very but, efficient <laughs> yeah but and now he takes a cp3 role but basically the rockets if they're going to run the exact same offense which i really if i was a rockets fan i would not really love but if that was the case then i would westbrook slides right into the cp3 slot and then he would have to just play the role of cp3 and he becomes the other ball handler in terms of Harden. I don't know if Westbrook's going to like that, though. Mm -hmm. He has not really taken kind to that in the past, yeah. right? So it's kind of been hard for him to do that. I think he's going to take a lot more shares than Harden, but um, than Harden would like, or in the CP3 Harden system. The mm -hmm. other thing, though, is that 
Again, with the talented backcourts, we have all these talented backcourts, but let's talk about the small forward position. And it's crucial for the Rockets, because I don't know who it is. Yeah. I I think I don't know who they're actually playing. Is it gonna be PJ Tucker probably doesn't slide in that role? Um Austin Rivers could probably slot over to that three spot. I think they had Eric Gordon there, I think. And yeah. that's not great. That's not ideal. Right. They, yeah. And they're highlighting a good problem right now is that it's a very guard-heavy system that they do play. Mm-hmm. And really, the big man that they have is Capella. But keep in mind that Capella is just completely dependent on the guards for his offense. Because exactly. a lot of what he does isn't himself isolating. It's just him catching lobs or getting fed into paint. Mm-hmm. So you bring up a really good point about how the Rockets' offensive and defense system works. To give you a full answer... I don't know. I don't think anyone knows, really, besides maybe Daryl Morey and James Harden and Westbrook. I hope they have. Because they've probably been talking about it, too. I think Westbrook, by going to Harden's team, because he recognizes that Harden is the one that brought Westbrook over, and he isn't going to be, like, quote-unquote, the guy anymore. Mm -hmm. I think we saw traces of that, even in OKC this season. Because when Peter was on this MVP tier, he was the one that was trying to take way less shots and starting to pass the ball way more. That's good. I do believe that they will make the adjustments necessary because knowing these guys, they both just really want to win mm-hmm. and they had to do what they had to do in the past because without because when Westbrook was having his MVP season and what Harden was doing this season, you know, Harden didn't have CP3 and Capella at the beginning of the season. There were some injury issues and then Westbrook's just been, been playing on teams that haven't had as much star power until, you know, PG and Melo came through. Yeah. So they both have to do what they have to do in the past, but they will make adjustments, I hope. They have to, because otherwise they won't go far. It's not going to work, yeah. And the thing is, yeah, the final thing I want to point out is, yeah, the offensive game plan of the Rockets. They shoot a lot of threes, right? Yeah. Now you got this guy, Westbrook, and he loves to shoot threes, but it's just the making part that is kind it's of hard so for you can shoot it. Yeah. I think the jury has already been decided on that one. Yeah. And it's not too good. Yeah. So that's the that's a very big concern that I wanted to highlight. And that's probably why we have the Rockets kind of lower on our side. But now it's going to get even more surprising right now because at number seven, we have a dynasty team that has been dominating the league for the past five years. And surprisingly, they're at number seven, the Golden State Warriors. We both have them at number seven. Very, very odd. At least to, you know, our, like people who've been following the NBA for the past few years. So right. why did we why did we both rank the Warriors so low? I I think that if you told the if you really look back at what's happened during the finals and then during the off season, the, the ranking definitely makes a lot of sense, mm-hmm. right? You know, you have the departure of Kevin Durant, which is a pretty big blow, and then you have a lot of the bench either, you know, going away. Or just retiring and then beyond that you have a complete youth movement that's completely happening with the Warriors as yeah, it is yeah. so the Warriors are going through a very big identity change as it is mm-hmm. Steph Curry is not the oldest player on that team I know I just saw that that was crazy <laughs> yeah and you know the they still have the big three I think the big three you know with Steph Clay and Draymond who just signed an extension yeah. they're all basically like the three oldest players on the team right now they're all up there mm-hmm. they're all entering their 30 stuff's been 30 for like two years now like in that decade so yeah we're officially reaching the point where they're reaching a veteran status mm-hmm. and now they're going to be the ones that are leading the charge for 
a new brand of horse basketball in a post-KD era. Because on a more philosophical note, you really did see the flaw with the dynasty over the past like three years when KD joined the team. Mm-hmm. And that is that when one or two of the stars goes down, you won't really have depth on your bench to cover it. You sacrifice depth for talent, yeah. And then when that talent goes down, it's really game over. Exactly. And I think that was the name of the game when it came towards the finals against the Raptors, too. Mm-hmm. Because when you have KD, and then very sadly, you know, Clay, Clay. going down as well, yeah. it's kind of like a final nail in the coffin that's already been shut closed. It's very sad to see. But the ranking completely makes sense to basically any NBA fan because when they keep in mind what's happened to this team in terms of injuries and the depth uh, and also the types of players that are coming into Warriors now, you are seeing a very big change. Yeah, and I think we have to account for fatigue into this factor as well. Yeah. It's not just the fatigue of NBA fans hating the Warriors and wishing that they're no longer the top five. I think till till June. Yeah, it's a mental toll. It's a physical toll where, you know, not everyone's immortal to it. Not everyone can just say, okay, I'm ready. Let's go to the finals again. It's very hard. You have to keep climbing that mountain top over and over again. And now you're going to do it with less help and without a superstar small forward to help you out on it. And it's been five years, five consecutive finals runs for the Warriors. They've been very successful. And I obviously think there's like this fatigue out there and they're tired. And one of them's very injured right now, Clay Thompson. So it's just, it's going to be like, a, it's going to be a climb. And right. there's a lot of young, hungry teams out there that we're going to get to, which we mm-hmm. rank higher than them. And another thing is, we let's talk about why we rank them so low, but sure. also why we rank them so high over the Rockets, Trailblazers, and Celtics, because we're getting to that point. Right. Right. So we kind of rank them, because they're the Warriors. Let's just, mm-hmm. let's just clear it up right now. They're yeah. the Warriors. Why do we have any doubt to... Why are we going to doubt them? Because right. they just... They did lose KD, but they did resign the they did resign all of the other stars. They got Draymond back, they got Clay back. They're all locked in for the long term. And they just signed D'Angelo Russell. Right. A star point guard who has who's incredibly young and is leading this new youth movement. And they've got a lot of young rookies, promising rookies out there. So we have them up there because one, you can't doubt these guys in the playoffs. Come the playoffs, they have only been defeated what twice in the past five years. Have a lot of experience. Yeah, they own the Western Conference basically, and you know, they still got a lot of talent out there. They still got four incredibly star-powered players, and now they <laughs> have some kind of this young depth. They're a little bit unproven now, but we're entering this new tier into the Warriors era, and we're just gonna see how it goes. Yeah, and like you said before, Matthew. At the worst of their best for our team to definitely be reckoned with, you know, you still have the big three mm-hmm. of Steph, Clay, and Draymond, and those guys have been battle tested night in and night out. They've proven themselves to be some of the best playoff performers of all time. Yeah. And you really can't count them out because of that. At the peak, I think right now the reason why we also rank them so low is because with Clay being out, I think that Dilo will be sliding in. D'Angelo Russell, he'll be sliding in towards that shooting guard spot mm-hmm. because he's a bigger size. He's like 6'5", 6'6", so he's yeah, bigger yeah. than Steph. 
So and then that backcourt will have defensive concerns for sure. Exactly. I think that's a big thing. Again, who's just um, small forward now? It's gonna be Clay. It's gonna be kind of hard to envision Clay being a very successful and matching up against banging up against guys like LeBron and Kawhi, right? Right. Like he does have the size in terms of the height, uh-huh. but he needs to bulk up more. And then that too, coming off an ACL injury, yeah, that'll also be very hard for him to get back into game shape and that too against the three instead of a two mm-hmm. he's always guarded some of the team's best players and switched off a Draymond here and there yeah. but he's going to be doing that for more and more stretches of time from now on going forward and he was able to defend star point guards like Kyrie in absence of like they tried to switch Clay onto star point guards so they don't have to have Steph beyond them yeah so it's going to be kind of harder to see that going forward and who are you going to do are you going to put Russell on them now he's not the bet he's not very known for his defense. He has been proven defensively too. And also, one final note, I also do believe that the Warriors are going to try and do more pick and roll this season, mm-hmm. which is also something that's not been proven for them as much. But it's a specialty of D'Angelo. It's a special specialty of D'Angelo Russell and Willie Colley Stein, mm-hmm. who they signed him basically to do. So they both those players that I just mentioned have basically made a living off the pick and roll offense that they've ran in the Nets and the Kings respectively. And so they're trying out new things. They aren't going to be playing as much ball movement because you don't really have the spacing for it just yet because you won't have as much shooters on this team yeah. as it stands to be right now. You won't have a guy like Kevin Durant to keep the guys honest. Yeah. You know, Draymond Green hasn't been a very good shooter for no. sadly a few seasons <laughs> at this point. And yeah. Clay's going to be out for long. So they're trying to switch up the playbook. They're not going to be doing the same stuff that they did because they aren't going to be able to have that gravity of other players besides Steph for now. Okay. Yeah. And now we're going to head off to number six on our list, the Denver Nuggets. And, you know, they've been flying under the radar. They haven't made a lot of big moves recently, but they were the number two seed in the Western Conference last year. So they've got a lot of... They've obviously got potential. They've obviously got the talent. And they made a huge leap. They went from number nine in the Western Conference to number two. Um, and that was kind of a surprise because we didn't think that their young players would be ready. You got Jamal Murray and you got Nikola Jokic. Murray just signed a five-year extension, I believe. Yeah. yeah, so we have them at number six because I think mostly because they are very talented. Um, they've got a lot of potential and they've got some more guys waiting off the bench. They've got Michael Porter Jr., right? They mm-hmm. just got him a year ago and they've been redshirting him for a season now. So now they kind of got him going and... They got Will Burton, they got all, all these kind of like young guys. Um, I think the biggest thing though is whether they can thrive in a one-star system, right? Mm-hmm. With Nikola Jokic there. Paul Millsap used to be a star, but he's not really that kind of guy anymore. He can't. Mm-hmm. But he's still there. But you, your offense relies on Jokic, right? Yeah. And you kind of want Murray to step up a little bit as well. And he did come to the playoffs. But at the same time... There's concern there because, again, we're talking about talent here. We have all these star duos, and you've got an Uno here, right? Yeah. You have one guy here. So, Nikola Jokic, I think, we ranked him, and I ranked the Nuggets at six, I think, because I'm not ready to believe in Jokic right now because I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to elevate himself above all these other teams yeah. and with their star potential. Right. So, I'll break up this section into two things. First of all, I'm going to talk about, you know, why I rank them above the Warriors, Rockets, Blazers, and Celtics, and then why they aren't as good as you just said right now. Mm -hmm. So the reason why I rank the Nuggets above all these teams is 
like you said, last season is a pretty good indication of how the team is. Mm-hmm. Really young, ton of depth, probably the deepest team in the league in terms of young talent goes. They have a great guard rotation, probably one of the best in the league for sure. They have Jamal Murray, they have Gary Harris, they got Malik Beasley, yeah. and they, they got Michael Porter Jr. waiting as a potential swingman too. Yeah. Yeah, and then they have Monte Morris as well. And all those guys are really, really, really good, mm-hmm. and they're very underrated by a lot of casual NBA fans. But Mike Malone is a really great coach too. Yeah. He knows yeah. how to work his guard rotations, and he's also developed a really good offensive system in which uh, Nikola Jokic, who's basically like a point guard trapped in the center's body, yeah. is able to stretch the floor and have his guards basically play as off-ball scorers and slashers, which is a role that you know Jamal Murray has completely thrived in. And then Gary Harris has been a very good defensive stalwart too. Mm-hmm. His defense against Derek White was one of the key reasons why the Nuggets were able to beat the Spurs during that brutal seven-game Western Conference semifinals. Yeah, yeah. So with that being said, the Nuggets have great depth, great coaching, a very good MVP candidate who's really, really young right now, and I believe that can only get better given he conditions himself a bit more. And <laughs> yeah, those are the things that get, make me rate them above all these other teams that we previously covered for now. At, they're at good health too. But like you said before, the reason why they aren't going to be as good as the top five teams is because A, they're relatively unproven. They are one of the youngest teams, if not the youngest team overall on this list. Mm-hmm. And B, they just don't have the experience as some of these top teams that have been deeper into the playoffs for many, many years now. Yeah. And C, you don't really know if they have like that individual star power that eclipses you know top tier guys, like top 10 guys in the league. Like I'm talking about the tier that includes LeBron, AD, Incredible. Steph, Kawhi, and all these given players. I'm not trying to say that Jokic can't be one of those guys in the future. We just haven't seen it. In his trajectory. Yeah, we just haven't seen it. By all means, he can't be one of those guys in the future. But right now, it's just like a young OKC, right? You know, they have all the talent in the world, but you know, you hopefully want to see them developing it and grow as a team together. It's also like the Celtics situation because you have all these young guys, but you don't know if they're. It's a we don't know it yet. We don't we just have. Don't we don't have. We haven't. They haven't proven it yet, and you know, this is the season to prove it. And it's time to put up or shut up. Are you gonna have a repeat performance of your last season, or are you gonna like falter mm-hmm. and be the reason why there's no like recognizable names on that team? Definitely. So yeah, and now we're gonna talk about. Now we're heading into our top five here, and there's a pretty big distinguishment between our top four and our. It's like <laughs> we have a disparity here. We have all our top four. We actually got it, uh, team for team. Five is actually a little bit of an interesting one, but we think it's a tier below, I think. I think we can yeah. both reasonably say it. So it is the Utah Jazz. Sorry, Jazz fans, but we did rank you guys number five. Um, we have them ranked as number five because of a lot of reasons, and I think um, the improvements to the team is one of them. It's a major key to why, right? Definitely. I think that one of the biggest improvements is bringing in a guy like Mike Conley. Exactly. They needed a point guard that can keep offense is honest mm-hmm. you, know, you had guys like Ricky Rubio and then you had guys like Dante Exum I mean Exum's still on the team but <laughs> you know a guy like him hasn't proven himself to be a very good scorer and some that people fear offensively and Ricky Rubio as great of a passer as he is 
he just doesn't have that consistent shot no, that doesn't. will you know leave other point guards willing to defend him and stick on him at all times. People yeah. can just sag off him as it stands right now. So adding a guy like Mike Conley, who has that veteran experience, who has consistently been one of the most underrated players in the entire NBA for sure with his tenure in the Grizzlies and just his leadership and mentorship that he can offer to other people. I think those are positive assets that you get by acquiring a guy like Mike Conley. He's a really good scorer, he's a very smart player, very good defender, and he's a good playmaker. By all accounts, I think he's a really good point guard for this team. And he's the perfect complimentary piece to a guy like Donovan Mitchell, who's a guy who wants to you know, slash and score, and he won't have this shoulder as much of the offensive burden like he did last season. He's the guy, basically, on the Jazz right now. And he had to be because Gordon Hayward was gone. He departed from the Jazz. And he had to step up and be that kind of guy. And no one expected it, but now people do. And now he right. is the kind of star there. So they're going to focus on him. And the Jazz realized this last year. And they said, okay, we got to get him another star. we got to pair him up again with yeah. dynamic duos. And they got Mike Conley, who is a great player. He's a great two-way player offensively and defensively. He's a great guy. He's a good leader. Mm-hmm. He's everything they could have wanted in, um, in a player. And he wants to play for Utah, which yeah. is like the biggest positive ever. And there's a real cultural <laughs> fit that comes with that too. Yeah. And also, Donovan Mitchell will probably make a very big leap in my opinion. Uh-huh. I'm just throwing that as a projection right now. But I do believe that with the better balance that this roster has as it is, and with a guy like Mike Conley who can shoulder the burden and make sure that Mitchell has to hold the ball a bit less and can play a bit more off ball which i feel like he's a bit more comfortable in as it stands mitchell will be able to have more strong opportunities he won't be hounded as much on defense and you know being a sophomore in the nba and basically becoming the guy is a really hard thing to try and shoulder yeah. because now you basically led a team to the playoffs when many teams didn't really know your style of play and we did see the exploding athleticism and the dynamicism that Mitchell showed when he beat the Rock, the the Thunder back two seasons ago. But now when Mitchell becomes a sole guy, as we saw last season, there are obviously going to be some growing pains. Mm-hmm. And so adding a guy like Mike Conley will be a good piece of that. Another really good piece, too, that we should talk about is Boyan Bogdanovich as yeah. well, who's coming in from Indiana and is also one of the, a very good three-point shooter. I believe he's a top 20 in three-point percentage. Wow. Yeah, wow. he's a really good shooter, and he can play good defense as well. He's a, a prototypical 3-and-D guy that can play starters minutes, who can, who's been a reliable scorer and defender, and that's also someone that can be really good for the Jazz as well. I think you got need wings, three two-way wings are the name of the game right now, and if you can stockpile on a lot of them and you have that star talent as well, yeah. you're going to be a very good team heading forward. And we haven't even talked about uh, like Rudy Gobert, who is basically yeah, like Gobert. the defensive player of the year for the past two years, I believe. Um, he's controlling the defense. you got Mitchell and Conley on offense, and you got now um, Bojanovic, and you still have Joe Ingles contributing on the other side. Definitely. So, like, on, like, yeah, on the wings. So, you have a lot of potential, and I think the Jazz are very good regular season team. I don't know. The only thing I'm worried about is the playoffs. And the the previous concern with the playoff um, potential was basically lack of star talent. Talent right. really wins out in the playoffs, for obviously reasons. 
and now you got uh, Conley here, and I envision it kind of like the Rockets. I don't know, like exactly if Mitchell's gonna become an MVP kind of player. Of course, with the addition of a star point guard next to him, but I think they're gonna have a huge rise, and I think yeah. that's what many people are predicting. I think another question that people can fairly ask is, if a guy like Mike Conley, who's as old as he is, will still be a very effective contributor down the stretch. That's true. But I do believe that. Overall, the Jazz are one of the best coach teams in the league with a guy like Quinn Snyder. They're going to have one of the best defenses in the league because they have a really good defensive scheme and they added very smart defensive-minded players as well. And they have a balanced offense. So overall, like I said, they're going to be a very good team on paper. They have one of the most balanced lineups I've seen throughout the league. But like I said, only time can tell if they will be a playoff contender. Yeah, exactly. So now... We're heading into our top four here, and we've got two teams from the East, two teams from the West. Um, so our top two. So we're going to go with number four, and it is the Milwaukee Bucks. The number one seed overall in the NBA last year, best record, Mike Budenholzer, was, um, he led that team to a meteoric rise, and Giannis Antetokounmpo won MVP. So a lot of huge expectations for the Bucks, and obviously we had to put them in our top four. But we put them at the very pole position at number four. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have three other teams and we're not gonna reveal them right now. But what makes the Bucks number four instead of number one? Based off just their last year. Like Yeah. I so I wanna start off by acknowledging the losses of two key guys on that team. Well, not really two key guys, one guy that was very important. And another guy that could have been very important had he stayed on the team. Hmm. And that's uh, Malcolm Brogdon and uh, Mirotich. Yes. So Brogdon was, you know, their, one of their best people on the team. He was like a top three guy. I think he was their best player behind he was you know, Middleton and Giannis. Not in that order, obviously, because <laughs> Giannis is better than Middleton. But yeah. everyone knows that at this point. Yeah, Brogdon, you know, he got matched by salary by the Pacers, and now he's gonna go there on a pretty fat deal. So, a guy like Brogdon, who was on a rookie contract previously, honestly, they couldn't really afford to keep him, because, keep in mind, they did re-sign um, Middleton to the max, five years, I believe, $178 million. Yeah, Which, crazy. in my opinion, is a bit of an overpay. I think so, too. But when you consider that the league market price has gone so high for pretty much every single person, Everyone's market price is so high that especially for a three and D kind of especially guy. Especially for a three and D guy, you, you kinda just have to follow suit and follow go along with it. Because in a player centric league, people will are willing to pay star talents. And star talents as we've seen in the past offseason, they're just willing to hold out and just go willy nilly whenever they kinda want to. And you so don't you kinda have to pay these guys. Mad. Yeah, you don't want Giannis mad right there. So yeah, I think the losses of Miritich and Brogdon are going to hurt that team because you we've seen the system of the Bucks. It's kind of like Giannis drives and then he kicks out and to all these incredible shooters, right? Yeah. Budenholzer created that system and it worked. It it's worked working. all the way to the top seed. But at the same time, we saw Toronto kind of expose that kind of system, right? It just crowded on Giannis and then like they just relied on the shooters to get cold kind of. And that's kind of what it happens, right? The law of averages, the shooters are going to get cold at, at some time. They just happen to get cold at the worst possible time. Um, so you have to wonder a little bit that both the system might have been exposed by the Raptors. And maybe the, now teams have caught on to it and they're going to adjust for it. 
and at the same time, you have to wonder whether, um, you know, you lost two shooters basically in Brogdon right. and Miritich, and you added a couple of guys. You added Robin Lopez and Wes Matthews, but and you also brought Middleton back. But at the same time, can you kind of see that? heading forward to be a viable offensive option can they actually still be contenders with that and i think the only way that they can still be kind of that top four team because i'm actually kind of bullish on that even i don't know if i would rank the jazz above them but at the same time i think it's a lot closer than people think so i think the biggest thing for the bucks heading forward is Giannis has to just improve even more so and it's crazy to believe that because he's the mvp but he needs to go from mvp to like I don't know, franchise all-star, like, LeBron James. LeBron James, or, you know, like, even beyond AD type of Superstar kind of Like, a true, true superstar. Like, right now, I think last season was his true ascension into that tier. Mm -hmm. I think now people have all their eyes on him. Exactly. Because, you know, there are rumblings about Giannis potentially leaving, (laughs) and you might want to go to a different team. If there's a... (laughs) Don't say that too loud, guys. Because we need to... Like, we'll try and down. We'll, we'll try and get them. We'll have to keep it down a little bit, but that's the ideal option. I'm not even gonna lie. Giannis would be great. That would be great. Yeah. So exactly, a guy like Giannis, uh, he needs to improve definitely on his shooting, and he needs to be able to space out the floor a bit more. But that also gives some question into his drive and kick strategy, because if defenders are on him, then you have to consider if guys can cut down as well. And so basically. When you have a guy like Giannis who's starting to shoot more, and if he really works on that level of this game, then that basically leaves a lot more options on the Milwaukee Bucks playbook open. Exactly. And at least a lot of things like pin downs and back screen cuts that can be made by the off guys who are playing on the wings. And then you have more center play as well. And Giannis can dump the ball down if he's playing point guard. And all of that wonkish stuff is basically trying to say that if Giannis can improve his game even further and develop even more facets of his game, on a more tactical level, because his athleticism and his speed and his wingspan—they're all God-given. Yeah. These things are these things can't really be taught. And Giannis is only entering his prime with those things. He's gonna be one of the most dominant players for sure in the NBA for from now, you know, until the end of his prime. Given no injuries happen, but if he's able to improve somehow even further in terms of his shot-making ability, you know, his ability to stretch his range to the three-point line consistently. I think the Bucks will really go much further because of that. Yeah, I think Giannis is really going to define this next decade of NBA basketball. And I think another team that really has that potential to become that, and they've got a young superstar on their own right, is the Philadelphia 76ers, who place in at number three on our list. Now, the num- 76ers were also number three in the playoff seats last year, again, in the Eastern Conference. They had a pretty good showing, and they only lost because... Um, in the playoffs because of a couple bounces by one Kawhi Leonard and now he's out of that division he's still playing obviously but um, the 76ers have a lot of room to grow and they have the star talent and now we have them as number three in the entire NBA yeah so you know what has elevated them from becoming a top tier team in the NBA overall I, I genuinely believe that the Sixers have probably the best overall lineup in the league and the reason why I say that is because it's pretty balanced offensively and it's an absolute behemoth defensively. Yeah. I think adding in guys like Josh Richardson and Al Horford are going to be two really big pluses on tr- in terms of the ability to stretch out the floor even further. 
you know, kind of compensating for a guy like Ben Simmons or the guy like Josh Richardson who can really shoot the ball very well from that range. Mm-hmm. And then you have like Al Horford who can kind of stretch out to the block as well. And then those guys are very good defensively too. And also, when you take into consideration the fact that you have a guy like Ben Simmons and you have a guy like Joel Embiid, both of those guys can improve as well. But especially Simmons can improve too. Because I, everyone says this too, and I totally believe it, but Ben Simmons with a jump shot is a pretty scary thought as well. Because <laughs> yeah. his, his playmaking, his rebounding ability, his ability to rack up triple doubles to get rebounds is really, really, really good in advance for a guy at his age. Because keep in mind, I don't even think he's 24 or 25 yet. He's not even yeah. close to his prime. But he already has like the knowledge and he's playing like a, a true veteran at this point. People kind of forget that he just finished his second season fully healthy. Exactly, and I think the Sixers guy kind of like fine wine. It's gonna get better as they age, right? Right. So you have these guys, Embiid and Simmons. They both were outstanding rookies, kind of, and they were able to grow and grow. And I think only experience is gonna make them better. I've been bullish on them at the start because they haven't shown that kind of clutch ability in the playoffs. They haven't. They haven't shown that poise, that expertise, and they kind of crumble. Mm-hmm. But that's not gonna matter as much because now they're gonna have that kind of experience as time goes along. Every young team kind of crumbles in the playoffs at first, and yeah. they're kind of shown up by a veteran team. Even the Warriors back in the day when they lost to the Spurs, they kind of lost that composure, but then mm-hmm. they learned from it and they got better. I think the same thing will happen with Simmons and Embiid, and again, they have added a lot of, like, and they've added a veteran presence like Al Horford to kind of calm the team down. He's going to really help with that chemistry, I think, and that cohesiveness as a team. Yeah. And he's going to be a great veteran presence. As well as Josh Richardson, he's going to be a great 3 and D guy mm-hmm. for them. And that's all they kind of really need right there. And then the re- they brought back Tobias Harris. And oh, yes. That contract was definitely really, really big for a guy who wasn't an all-star. Mm-hmm. But I think that goes back to what we were saying before about... A guy like Chris Milton getting the the max deal as well. Yeah, yeah, you have to overpay guys. them because that's the market price at this point. Exactly. If you take less, and you know, other teams can you know scramble them up, and then either they can kind of hold out and the and demand you know higher salaries, or else you know they can just hold a lockout or something. Exactly. It's a player driven league at this point. You have to respect the players and what they want. Otherwise, you know, you don't have any basketball. <laughs> so there's going to be some overpays. And Lockout. Tobias Harris is, in my mind, the exemplification of an overpay. <laughs> but they kind of had to do that. I think that at the end, this is their team going forward. Like we said in the previous podcast, this is their core. And you aren't going to see many changes and iterations upon this team. Because as it stands, they've committed a lot of money to this core. A lot of money, yeah. And they recently signed also Simmons to the max extension as well. Wow. So they have you know all those guys besides I guess Richardson that are basically north of hundred million dollar contracts right now as it stands. So this is their core going forward. They are in win now mode. This is really their time to show up and establish themselves as the guys that can redeem themselves from Kawhi's four bounces. And I think that they will be probably the best overall team in the East. The process is complete. Now it's time to actually prove themselves. They've spent all the draft picks. They've spent all the money. It's time to go out there. Show why you're the number three team on our list. (laughs) And now for the number two team. And honestly, like, I think we kind of know what's going to go on here. Um, People are going to get mad at us, maybe. But I think it's fair. 
we have the Los Angeles Lakers as our number two overall team. And we have them there, even though, and we're going to eat crow, first of all, because in the previous podcast, we did not expect the Lakers to get this high. And we were very, very, very you're, doubtful. You're we were very, very doubtful on them. Very <laughs> doubtful. A lot of questions were put on this roster. And to be fair, those questions to a much lower scale do still exist, you know. I mean, let's start with the positives, right? Because the Lakers did have a pretty good offseason at the end of the day. Acquiring a guy like Anthony Davis. And then you acquire... I mean, Boogie Cousins was also a really good addition, but that's kind of, you know... Dirt okay. at the end of the road now. <laughs> you, got you got Danny Green as well. You got Quinn Cook. You got Troy Daniels. You have got you have Jared Dudley too. KCP. KCP. Then we signed KCP. So I think the Lakers really learned from their mistakes because in the previous podcast, we criticized the Lakers for going all in on quote unquote playmaking. And not so much on three and D ability, right? Mm-hmm. Because as I clearly remember us talking about back at Berkeley a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. we were saying that LeBron and three and D is a proven formula that's gotten him very far. Exactly. And now the Lakers kind of cracked the course and realized that you need shooters. You know, the driving kick method that LeBron's pretty popular and has established himself for using pretty well during his previous tenures with the Heat and with the Cavs. That kind of formula is coming back now. LeBron won't have, won't have to play, play fast. He won't have to push his body as much because Lakers, at the beginning of the season last year, were playing at one of the highest paces in the league, and they completely exhausted themselves. And I think that's a major reason also why LeBron got injured with that hamstring issue. So I think the Lakers finally realized that they have to play a bit more conventionally, and they got proven veterans. They got guys who have been very deep in the playoffs and have been in the league for a large number of years now and so they have people who have been many of the people actually if you look at the roster have been on championship teams or have been played or have played in the finals so this is a deeply experienced group of veterans who can play basketball and are all in on something that's greater than themselves not many egos not many young people just a group of veteran guys who are very focused on the championship yeah, and I think we have the Lakers so high because they, they've stuck to the plan. They got exactly what makes a LeBron team so great usually. They got talent and they got depth, right. specifically tailored for LeBron this time. And this time, instead of just getting LeBron, they got Anthony Davis, who has been rumored to be going to the Lakers for a very long time. He's wanted to, this for a while, and they finally processed that trade. Um, they gutted their young, <laughs> young players, but unfortunately, but you know that's the cost of trying to get to a championship. So now they got a dynamic duo again in LeBron and AD, and they were able. They were trying to pursue Kawhi Leonard, but unfortunately that didn't pan out. But they still were able to fill out their roster with some great three and D guys. They got shooters at like KCP and Green. You got a veteran in Rondo. You got a lob guy in McGee. So you got a lot of players right there. You got. And it's a proven formula, like you yeah. said. LeBron has been able to win with the team like this. And that's why I think we, and for the most part, again, you're number two. And even though you haven't made the playoffs in what? Like, it's been a while. It's been like five, six, seven years. 
I think it's been since 2011-2012, yep, around that time period. Yeesh. It's been like six, seven years now for sure. Yeah. Maybe boring on eight, I forget. <laughs> but basically, it's also very crazy how the Lakers fan just stayed relevant. Mm-hmm. You know, they acquired a lot of these young people who've it's had a lot of talent. Yeah. And they've, they drafted actually really well. They got guys like Kuzma. Kuzma staying on the team as well. I think that's a very big piece to not overlook as well. Mm-hmm. Because he's a young, proven scorer. You know, he has good wingspan, he has good length. Yeah. He can score in a bevy of ways. He can shoot the ball pretty well. He can go to the hoop with ease. I think he's a guy to look out with as well. Another year of chemistry with, with, you know, LeBron can help. But also, going back to the main point, it's also crazy how they're able to just completely give up on Lonzo and Ingram and, you know, guys like Josh Hart. And they've drafted well. But I think the main point that really needs to be driven home right now is that LeBron's 34, going to be 35 at this season, I believe. They're in complete win-down mode. LeBron's basically not going to be in the league for much, much longer, I believe. Like, I don't think he'll be playing in the league by 42, 41. That's a really lot, big ask. Ooh, you're tempting but, fate right there. You, you never know. <laughs> if a guy can do it, if a guy can basically go complete Tom Brady and yeah, just stick around, that's what LeBron, I, to say. I will not count LeBron for that reason because he's proven himself as the exception to many things in the past. And he could do it, but it's clear that he isn't the player who he once was. But don't get me wrong, he's still like a top, top player. Easy he like contention for the top player in the league still. But he was, isn't like the same athletic guy he once was. You can't sure. doubt LeBron James. That's why we put him up here. They are number two because you cannot count out LeBron James. But they are number two for a reason. And we both agreed to our number one consensus. So there's no arguing here. The number one team on our power rankings is the Los Angeles Clippers. And they've got an incredible team. They are probably the media darlings of after this free agency period. They were able to get the big fish in Kawhi Leonard. And then they were surprisingly and shockingly able to nab Paul George as well. While keeping most of their depth. Which is incredible. It is truly incredible. And we gushed over the Clippers the last podcast. And there's no doubt why we have them as number one. If you heard that. But yeah. let's reiterate. Why did we think that it was the best team? I, like you said before, the depth of the Clippers was their big draw last season. They were one of the best overall constructed teams. They had guys like Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell. Two guys on the Clippers who were actually were both top three in six men of the year voting. Yeah. Finalists and I think runner-up, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, Lou Williams did win the award. I think yeah. Harold was the runner-up as well, oh, number yeah. three. Yeah. But it's still incredible to see how much depth there is on this team. You have a lot of great players. And then you have a lot of good talent as well, like Landry Shamit, who's also on this roster as oh, well. Yeah. They, weren't able, they were able to keep a lot of the pieces that they had, but they did give up a lot of their picks for the future. And a guy like Shake Gildas Alexander with that Paul George trade, so they are kind of mortgaging their future a bit because mm-hmm. they gave up like something like seven to eight picks yeah. for that trade for Paul George. The good thing is that they traded away some of the picks that aren't theirs, like Miami's picks. Yeah, and but it's so it makes sense. It makes sense why they did that because you got a guy like Kawhi, you got a guy like Paul George. They're definitely in their prime right now. They both have pretty big injury histories yeah. in the past. Yeah. And I think that's something that people should watch out for. I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, one of them, like, 
doesn't play as well or if there's some load management issues because Kawhi has had lingering quad issue for now uh-huh. and apparently it's a permanent condition it's not something that's gone away with time it's like some yeah. neurodegenerative condition that's what that will linger yeah. him for you know pretty much the rest of his career so they are going to play the load management game with him mm-hmm. Kawhi isn't going to isn't just healthy all of a sudden after one championship year with Toronto and Paul George as great as he is as a two-way player you want to be careful with him because of his leg injuries in the past as well. Yeah. Those things can't be discounted by any means. But, you know, at their peak, what, what really stops this team, you know? Exactly. And I think we have him, at least I have him over the Lakers for a couple of, for two reasons. Youth and depth. I mm-hmm. think both Kawhi and Paul George, I think they're younger than LeBron, obviously. And... I think they have that kind of depth. They have the depth there, and they have the talent. They have the same amount of talent. It's not comparable, obviously, because you got two small forwards versus a small forward and a big man, and Davis and James, and mm-hmm. Kawhi and George. But at the same time, I think the youth is really moving me towards the Clippers because I think that LeBron, again, you said it's 34. He's aging. I don't know how much he's going to decline because it's right. going to happen. Father of the time is undefeated. And, you know, Kawhi, he does have that injury history, but at the same time, I would take him. Uh, especially now, because he was able to lead the Raptors to a championship yeah. on his own, basically, kind of. But at the same time, you also had that depth, and you have that proven Clippers depth, and we know how they work, especially in the system. The Lakers are putting in a lot of guys right now, and maybe the system's not going to work right away. Because sometimes, and usually for a LeBron team, it doesn't work right away. Mm-hmm. The first year is always kind of shaky at first, and sometimes even LeBron trades away a lot of them right. at the end. So it's kind of like you're gonna have to see. It's a little bit more risky, I think. And and I definitely agree with you, Matthew. And also a couple of more points I want to add on why I put the Clippers up above the Lakers at the end. I think that coaching is a very big issue. Oh yes. To consider Doc Rivers, obviously is Doc Rivers. He's a great, great coach. He's established. Then, you know, a guy like Frank Vogel. He's had his previous success in the past, but that mainly came through his Indiana Pacers a defensive system, mm-hmm. which previewed pre- a lot of Roy Hibbert. And that kind of style, which is just very slow, you know, pack the paint, and it's that's center-based. very slow. It's not very adept to the modern MB anymore. And, you know, Frank Vogel didn't have very much coaching success with the Magic as well. No, and did. so you have to really take into those things. Keep in mind that, you know, Rivers will have the edge. And also, like you said before, the youth movement is very critical. And even just beyond that, I think the biggest draw as well is the fact that the Clippers have an immediate identity out of the gate. Yeah. And that is their defensive prowess. You have two-way players, and you have a guy like Patrick Beverly who can flat-out just defend and test a, a pre- opposing player. And that is a pretty good formula to have right off the bat. They have their roles. They have their roles. And I think that another thing is that, you know, we... We're concerned still about the Lakers front office. I yeah. I'm concerned at least. And like the coaching staff is a bit of a worry because it's an extension of the front office right now as it stands. Because, you know, we have all these rumors and the season hasn't even started yet about right. Jason Kidd. And he shouldn't even be a name that we keep talking about, but we do. And there's a reason why. Because it's just... And we know LeBron's history. Again, it's just about the history between a LeBron team and... It's hard to trust a LeBron team right now, especially during year one, because it's essentially that right now. They're rebooting once again. Yeah, because year one with Walton, he's out. It's kind of like, it's 
that's just how it is right now. Yeah. Because you can't trust a LeBron coach right now. And one final point on that. It's going to be much harder for this team to go wrong with the Lakers, but it's not that it's completely impossible as well, because you never know how chemistry fits. And a lot of the issues in our previous podcast, or like the podcast before the last one that we had, was that when LeBron is frustrated, a lot of times there's a lot of you know immediate shifts and a lot of complaint that goes between the front office and a lot of drama. So much drama. So that can be an issue as well. If it, when it rains, it pours. <laughs> and so that's an issue to keep in mind. And that's also one reason why the Lakers aren't number one to me. Because the front office issues still aren't fully healed, in my opinion. There's still a bit of incompetence that's happened behind the scenes. Yeah. And those issues aren't going to be just completely bandaged because AD's on the team now. Exactly. So we have our top 10 right here. Um, we just want to give a quick mention to the teams that were the last ones out. So to make you guys feel better. Sure. <laughs> it's, uh, I had Brooklyn. San Antonio, the Pacers, the Kings, and the Pelicans. A lot of these teams, they have uh, good youth, or they've been experienced vets for a while. I'm right. mainly talking about the Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> but it's just, I think they have a lot of potential, but I think that they still need some room to grow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you have? Um, I basically had mostly the same teams as well. And also want to add the Timberwolves as well. Ah, yes. that list. Very spooky. Yeah. And... And maybe even the Bulls, because the Bulls have a pretty solid lineup that's going forward, like a good, solid core. And yeah, adding some thoughts more specifically on the Nets and the Spurs, because I think those are the two team, teams that people would want to focus on amongst mm-hmm. those last ones out. I think with the Nets, with their acquisition of Kyrie, they're still going to be like an Eastern Conference playoff team for sure. Yeah. But the thing that really holds me out on them right now as it stands is the fact that the Nets, led by Kyrie Irving, just don't really stack up against, you know, a team like the Celtics. And the reason why is because Kyrie Irving has had some issues in the past yeah. with leading a team and are completely starting from scratch once again. And they don't have the young talent that the Celtics Yeah, and keep in mind that D'Lo was basically kind of their unofficial leader of that team, the guy that put them under his back, leading to the playoffs. And now Kyrie Irving's basically doing that too. And so... Because of that, there's still going to be some sort of issues because the broken Nets guard rotation with Karis LeVert and Spencer Dinwiddie has already been pretty established. And Kyrie Irving and uh, D'Angelo Russell are both very different players. And so there's going to be some sort of chemistry issues with that. And with the Spurs, I think that's also a point which people should focus on more. The Spurs have good youth coming in as well, yeah. but they just aren't proven as well. And the main two guys with LaMarcus Aldridge and, you know, DeMar DeRozan, those guys, DeMar DeRozan doesn't have the best reputation in high-stakes moments. I'm worried about their shooting. In the shooting, more specifically. Because DeMar can either be very good or kind of just completely disappear during a playoff series. There's there's, there's really no in-between with this guy. And DeMarcus Aldridge has been a consistent leader ever since he joined the Spurs three, four years ago. But also, I think they've pretty much gone as far as they could. And simply put, the real reason is because all the 10 teams are just better and have either more depth or more potential or more proven star power. And I think yeah. that's really where it stands with this league. Yeah. I think some final thoughts on this top 10 list. You can really see that it's really accumulated towards the top 10 teams, a lot of the star power that's there in this league. And a lot of teams have basically re-identified themselves around, you know, big names moving to top teams, mostly in the Western Conference. 
And I think that's where we see a lot of the power dynamics kind of shifting out in playing. And one more final question that's worth talking about too is figuring out what does this mean for the current championship uh, championship winners, the reigning championship winners, the Raptors. Yeah, um, <laughs> awkward. So we left out the Raptors and we didn't even keep them in the last ones out. And I think we kind of know why. And Raptors fans, you kind of know why too. It's Kawhi. We like Kawhi. We like Kawhi a lot. We put him at number one yeah. <laughs> on our list simply because kind of Kawhi. And the thing about the Raptors is now you're... And you kind of knew this when you were gambling with Kawhi that either he was going to stay here and you were mm-hmm. going to become championship contenders for a while or at least as much as you could or he's going to leave and start to rebuild. Kyle Lowry is pretty old. Serge Ibaka is not a star anymore or if he ever was one. You have Pascal Siakam and he's a rising kind of player. But other than that, you kind of just have your depth and you don't have really much else. You can compare yourself to the Nuggets a little bit because you're just that kind of deep. But, but you don't have that Jokic. You just don't have that kind of guy. You have Marcus Gasol too, but again, he's aging. So we didn't have you as the top 10, simply put, because again, like Vivek said, our top 10 is just, it's very talented. It's just that kind of talent. And you have a very Kawhi-sized hole at small forward, and you don't even have DeMar DeRozan this time to replace it. So I'm not saying you aren't a great team, but it's just, we don't know, we can't trust it yet. Yeah. We, we're going to have to wait and see at least. And that's just, final thought, that's just how the cards were dealt too, with that uh, Kawhi trade. They decided to go all in gamble on one season, and it worked out. They got a championship ring. That's really, really hard to do. <laughs> Especially in this era where, you know, if I ever feel like it's a Warriors or Cavs winning team winning for the past five, six years. So that's pretty incredible that we're able to pull it off and still get the ring. Because at the end of the day, people don't really think about the dark years as much as they think about the glorious years and the victor- the victorious seasons that they had. And the Raptors really did stand out and prove themselves as the best team. And yeah. overall, there's no love lost, I believe, on both sides of the deal. You may have not won this power rankings, but you won the championship, and that's what matters, right? So, um, I think that's where we're going to end it. Um, I'm Matthew. I'm Yvette, and, and thank you for listening. Yeah, signing off.